informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and, as always, for letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it, and we, again, hope you are safe and well. Here's what we'll be talking about on the program today. More reaction to the HEROES Act proposal by the House, more specifically House Democrats. A lot in there for agriculture, if it would go through. We'll talk with Paul Blyberg with the National Milk Producers Federation about uh, the dairy industry's reaction to what's in there for the dairy industry. No doubt there's going to be a lot of changes to this uh, when it gets to the Senate. The, The key for agriculture will be how much will be left in the final bill whenever it is passed, whatever form it takes, how much will be left in there for agriculture from these proposals. We'll talk about that. We'll also get reaction to that proposal uh, from Emily Scores, CEO of Growth Energy. This is the first time there's been some assistance offered for the biofuels industry. We'll get her reaction to that. And a planting update from East Central Illinois. as well. And we'll also talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. We'll get a planting update. And now also, as some heavy rains move across uh, the Midwest, some concerns about uh, not just getting planting done, but what's already been planted. Already some replanting has been done. Maybe more will have to be, we'll see, after these rains scheduled uh, forecast for the next several days. So we'll talk about that later in the program. But we'll start things off today with Phil Brasher from AgriPulse Communications. Phil, always good to talk with you. Um, we'll, we'll start with this HEROES Act. Uh, yeah, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, very good. Let's let's talk about this HEROES Act. Obviously, the Senate is not going to go along with everything that's in there. There are going to be some changes. For agriculture, I, I'm sure the watch is on to see how much of what they are looking to get will survive the final cut. Yeah, there's uh, definitely a lot in here that uh, agriculture likes and will like. Uh, the bill, the broader bill is the problem is the real problem for Republicans. It's just it has all sorts of spending, uh, uh, close to uh, you know pushing a trillion dollars on state for state and local governments, uh, extension of expanded unemployment benefits, on and on and on. Uh, it's, it's just a which makes it a non-starter with Republicans in the Senate and in the House. However, that doesn't mean a lot of this a lot of these uh, ag provisions won't be in the mix. Uh, when negotiations really uh, get going with the Senate, because there are a number of priorities that are addressed here. Yeah, so we'll watch. It's going to be interesting negotiations. No doubt they'll come up with something. It's just to see what makes that final cut. Now, let's let's look to uh, the USDA uh, program of these, uh, you know, working with companies to get food out to people, these uh, uh, truck-to-trunk uh, decisions that are being made yeah. uh, it's it's that's being criticized some questioning the companies that have been chosen to do this and a lot of questions about this uh yeah it, it's it's a huge project uh something usda has never done before uh actually try to uh, take fresh food and have it delivered in family-sized boxes to locations all over the country and it's been set up in a matter of weeks. Uh, it really kicks off this weekend. This first round runs through June 30th. Criticism you've uh, 
you know, there's a lot of a uh, lot of bidders who got left out. Some of them big, uh, big distributors, big companies, a lot of uh, a lot of smaller companies. Uh, really uh, interesting mix and in all over the country. Uh, but boy, this is going to be really challenging, and it's going to be interesting to see, to watch, and see how this goes over the next uh, few weeks. Yeah, time will tell. Some are saying some of the companies chosen for this they question whether they are uh will be able or capable of handling it and but again time will tell we'll see how this plays out meanwhile there's a lot of people kind of watching and nervously watching at the kind of the words flying back and forth between the u.s and china and how this might impact trade moving forward Oh yeah, a lot of nervousness. Uh, I think among farm groups that uh, this, uh, you know, with the battle over the uh, blame for the uh, coronavirus uh, escalates into uh, a new tariff war and uh, China backing off uh, its uh, phase one uh, our commitments under that phase one trade deal, which seems like it was signed a couple of years ago, actually back in January. So. Yeah, definitely uh, a lot of nervousness since uh, given where the farm economy is and how vital China is to uh, soybeans and uh, uh, some of the other commodities. A lot of uh, interesting things being proposed. At, we'll see where they come out, but um, Senator Grassley and others uh, making proposals, introducing legislation when it comes to cattle marketing. And uh, NCBA has expressed some concerns about this. Yeah, this is uh, what the situation in uh, meatpacking uh, has has really brought up a lot of uh, long-standing concerns that uh, kind of been on the back burner for for a number of years. If you followed uh, Senator Grassley, you know a couple of decades ago he was uh, beating this drum. Uh, putting out proposals to really restrict uh, how uh, packers uh, bought uh, bought their animals, uh, trying to force them to buy a lot more on the spot market. And that's what this bill does that has uh, just been introduced. Of course, this all has to do with the fact that uh, the system's gotten really backed up with plants shutting down and uh, and uh, running at a very at a pretty slow uh, pace uh, because of the social distancing that they have to do inside the plants. They're buying fewer animals, which uh, have the fact economies will, economists will tell you of uh, lowering the prices that uh, producers get. But on the other end, uh, consumers paying more, and those margins are just uh, uh, really alarming uh, a lot of producers and feel really unfair. Yeah, I saw a story today where Tyson's talking about maybe lowering beef prices at the retail level. Um, we'll see where that goes and what kind of reaction that gets as well. Well, it'll be interesting, I guess, uh, after this week, uh, Congress, they're going to get out of town for who knows how long, right? Well, we'll see. We'll have this, uh, this bill uh, simmering, uh, this uh, next uh, stimulus bill simmering. I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of eyes in D.C. are going to be out in the country to see how this goes as states continue to kind of open up. Um, is, there, are there, is there going to be, are there going to be more spikes? Um, if there is, that could change the calculus here in D.C. If they're not, uh, 
Uh, if these uh, reopenings go well, I think you may see less, a little less urgency here in, in Washington. Yeah, which, uh, again, the Republicans have said, let's wait and see what happens for a while, let what we've already approved uh, circulate through and make its way through the economy and see what difference that makes. So that debate continues. Right, right. Hey, good to talk with right. you, Phil. Take care. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks. Bill Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Well, in that HEROES Act, there's quite a bit in there for dairy. We'll get reaction from the National Milk Producers Federation next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. This is a call for all farmers to come to the aid of their beans. Liberty Herbicide can now be applied on your Enlist E3 soybeans. Superior weed control, greater application flexibility, no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Liberty Herbicide battles tough weeds so your beans can live free and grow healthy. Talk to your BASF rep to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Liberty is a registered trademark of BASF. Enlist E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences. Shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so a lot of discussion around this $3 trillion, $3 trillion relief bill expected to pass in the House. The HEROES Act, 1,815-page bill. But there are many who say, well, it'll never get through the Senate. Some calling it dead on arrival. There's a lot in there that's good, a lot of help needed help, especially for agriculture. So there's a lot in it I don't think is COVID-19 related, and I think that's a, a concern. I, I think the bill needs to be targeted. The assistance need to be needs to be targeted directly to COVID-19. And I, I think agriculture has a strong case to make in this, to defend what's being proposed for them, because uh, it's pretty easy to make the direct link right to the, the, the crisis, to what's happening to agriculture, causing the crisis in agriculture. The key is going to be, as negotiations continue, when it goes to the Senate, what will the final bill contain? How much of this for agriculture will still be in there? And uh, that's uh, something we'll be talking a lot about over the next few days and weeks. Here with us now is Paul Blyberg. He is Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Paul, thanks for joining us. There is uh, quite a bit of assistance in this proposal for dairy. What do you like about it? Well, thanks, Mike, for having me on, as always. And yes, the HEROES Act does have quite a bit to help the dairy industry during the during the pandemic. There are several provisions that are important here. There's language to provide additional direct payments to dairy farmers, which will be important as we continue to endure significant economic losses. There are some provisions to enhance the potential for milk donation, other dairy products, and other food donations as well. And we think this is very important because during this whole time period, you've had milk dumped at a larger rate than you would normally have. And if we can do everything we can to make milk donation as attractive as possible and help the producer through that while getting dairy products into the hands of the food insecure, then the more we should do there. And so there's very good language in the bill uh, to accomplish that goal as well. There are several other provisions too. There's uh, some loans on the processing side. There's some modifiers around the dairy margin coverage program that'll be helpful, especially on the production history issue that's been talked about a bit before. And uh, there's some money in the bill on farm stress, on nutrition that's very important. Obviously, you know, helping farmers and feeding people go hand in hand right now. So if we can do whatever we can to 
get, you know, to make it easier for people to purchase food, you know, that's very important. So there's some good, uh, good provisions to that effect as well. Now, as I mentioned, uh, this is not going to be rubber stamped by the Senate. Changes are going to be made. Probably they're going to pass something. Uh, so how confident are you that these ag provisions, and in your case, the dairy provisions, will survive that final cut? Uh, at this point, it's really early to know what's going to happen. Obviously, as the process goes forward, I think we, we know where we expect the House will pass the bill, yeah, I think, later this week, probably tomorrow. And I, I feel pretty good that there's broad support for dairy in both parties and both chambers of Congress, and so I definitely feel good about that. And there's a lot of interest in the Senate as well in some of these items we're talking about, like milk donation and continued direct relief to farmers, as we're seeing in the House package here. But it's hard to know exactly what the end product will look like when the broader negotiations haven't yet gotten underway. So I think I feel optimistic by the fact that there's dairy language in the House bill that's helpful. and That certainly sets us off on a good starting point, right, um, to have that in there because now we're moving, you know, from the House to the Senate process with some dairy language that's already in play and that can be worked with. Um, but it's hard to know what the end will be because there are a lot of negotiations that will have to occur on some of the much, you know, much bigger, more controversial pieces, certainly, too. So. Yeah, much better to be in there to begin with than to try to get added later right. on, for sure. Um, yeah. As I said, I really, I really think the criteria needs to be, can you show direct uh, damage, direct impact from the coronavirus outbreak? And if not, then I don't think assistance should, you know, I don't. I, that part of it, the things in this bill that aren't directly related, I don't think should be in this assistance bill. But I think in agriculture's case, and we'll look at dairy specifically here for you. I, you can make the case, right? I mean, obviously, the, the negative impact is directly related to the coronavirus outbreak. Yeah, I think you can make the case very strongly. We've seen, as I said, such significant collapse in demand. And it's, it's imperative that we do everything we can to account for that. And obviously, product purchases are a big part of that, getting food into the hands of people that can consume it, whatever that takes. And so we've been doing a lot with food banks, with Feeding America, obviously, to facilitate that. Everything we can on the ground on milk donations you want to do. But we have to provide producers with relief in this situation, given the losses, given the price loss that they're going to be facing over a period of time. And so it's going to be important that we provide, you know, continued payments to producers that actually reflect the losses they're facing. The direct payments set up in the HEROES Act actually reimburse producers, I think, on 85% of their second quarter loss, which is very important. As we as this quarter has been really difficult for people, so we'll see what ha- comes out in the final bill and when that happens. I, I know the Republicans are wanting to wait and and uh, before they move on another package, wait to see what the the previous packages that have been passed, uh, what impact they have. Uh, let's look at the program this the Ag Department has underway. This uh, uh, truck to trunk or trunk to truck, whatever they call it, trying to get. Uh, excess commodities out to food banks. Uh, some are questioning the, the companies that have been chosen, questioning whether they can handle this or not. So there's a lot of questions, criticism, controversy around this program. Dairy's involved in this. Uh, how do you see this working out? Do you have concerns? So I think it's still early to tell. Obviously, you know, we know that a number of dairy co-ops and other companies have received uh, awards under the program, and so we'll see how that plays out. We know there are going to be, I think the department said, a couple of additional rounds of awards later in the year, I think that depending on how the first round goes, there's additional funding there. So I think we're sort of at the beginning stages of, of seeing how this is all going to play out. Uh, but I think, so, you know, there, there are probably a lot of people in the industry that might have submitted applications 
the first time around that are still going to be interested in the potential here. So we're going to be working with our members across the board to do what we can to make sure that the opportunity is being maximized on the dairy side, certainly, and that co-ops and companies that, that have something to offer here have an ability to be in the, in the conversation. It just seems, I mean, there's there's such a need out there, and, and there's the product there. They're just We just have to find the right way to connect the two. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right, and I think that's why both some of the administrative actions but also some of the legislative provisions here in the HEROES Act and in other bills as well to you know facilitate more donation and provide additional funding on some of the purchase programs like TFAP as well uh, are really important. We're talking with Paul Bleiberg, Vice President of Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Paul, are you looking at anything else other than what's in the HEROES Act that could help dairy producers through these uh, tough times right now? Well, I think we're, you know, we're eager to see the uh, details of the coronavirus food assistance program. Obviously, that was uh, an outgrowth of the CARES Act from March. You know, there's a webinar I think early this afternoon that a lot of people will probably be dialing into to hear some, some information. So we don't yet know the final details there, but obviously folks are going to be very eager to see where that ends up because while there's, while there's good language in the HEROES Act, and I think, as I said, we're hopeful that the final product, whatever that is, will embody some of that. That may still yet be a few weeks before that can get done. And things get out the door and given the urgency for help right now, I know folks are very eager to see the CFAP uh, payments start going out soon. So I think we're very eager to see the final version of that. Yeah, because the the need is immediate and sometimes these programs take a while to, uh, even at their best, it takes them a while to really uh, get help to people out on the ground and uh, those that are in need. So, it may be they may think they're moving quickly by government standards, but by in real time for people dealing with this, it it seems slow. Uh, well, that, that's right. And one of the things we've been advocating for during the last several weeks, as you know, is to make sure that there there are not payment limits applied that would really block out a lot of the country's milk and a lot of the farmers that produce a lot of that milk supply from receiving the support that they need. So we don't yet know what the final limits are going to be. Obviously, a week ago, I think, Secretary Purdue did an interview where he indicated that the limits were going to be somewhat higher than the initially proposed 125 per commodity and 250 per entity back on April 17th when the plan was first outlined. We don't know what the final details are going to be, but from a standpoint of given the major, major losses dairy farmers of all sizes have faced here and trying to ensure that we have a viable industry and milk supply on the other side of this and during this, you know, we've been pushing on the payment limit issue and we'll certainly continue to be doing that. So. But as you raise payment limits, then there's the concern the money goes faster and you may not be able to help as many. Well, and that's and that's a concern that we've heard and that's definitely understandable. I think my response to that, our response to that has been that's why we need to provide as robust support as possible. You know, this initial CFAT program I think is around $19 billion. The HEROES Act provides another $16.5 billion for direct payments. We know there's $14 billion otherwise already in the CCC. So I think our view is the larger the pot of money, the more easily you can deal with that issue and make sure that you do provide the needed support to producers across the board. All right, Paul. Good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Paul Bleiberg, Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Up next, Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy, reacts to the provisions for the biofuels industry in the HEROES Act. And we'll talk about the overall state of the ethanol industry. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. 
farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices. But they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. Very happy to have with us the CEO of Growth Energy, Emily Score, joins us now to talk about the proposals in the HEROES Act coming out of the House of Representatives that would include payments of 45 cents a gallon for fuel produced from biofuel plants January 1st to May 1st, and plants that could not produce for a month or more could get payments of 45 cents on half their production during the corresponding period last year. Emily, thanks for joining us. What do you think of that idea, that proposal? Well, we're incredibly grateful for our champions making sure that biofuels was included in this round of recovery. Uh, so the HEROES Act introduced in the House this week allocates more than $3 trillion in recovery dollars. Uh, and this is the first time that we've seen the biofuels industry be recognized as an industry that needs uh, federal support. And so we're grateful for our champions for getting us in there. There are a lot of things, though, overall in that bill that probably aren't going to pass in the Senate. So they're going to have to do some work here. How confident are you, or should I say maybe even concerned are you, that in the final bill that this assistance for the biofuels industry will be in there? Well, we've got, the, the good news for us is we've got strong bipartisan support in the House and the Senate for biofuels. We've had uh, governors, mayors, Senators and representatives go on the record uh, expressing their support for us at this time of need. So that's the good news for us. There's going to be a lot of larger politics that have nothing to do with the biofuels industry as this goes to a House vote on Friday and then the Senate takes this up. So we're well aware of that. We remain laser focused, though, on making sure that the conversation specific to biofuels uh, acknowledges that half of our industry has gone offline as a result of the plummeting fuel demand. We're a critical market. Uh, for the rural economy, we're critical for rural economies to get through the worst of this crisis and recover. And so that's where we're going to focus our attention and our conversation. You know, I think it's important for any aid at this time to be directly related to COVID-19. And I think certainly agriculture has a strong point to make that uh, the crisis it's facing is because of the pandemic. And certainly your industry can point directly to it and the fact that you've not received any assistance in other packages up till now. You are absolutely right. Uh, I think everybody is well aware that the country is not driving right now. Fuel demand dropped 50% as a result of COVID-19, as a direct result of COVID-19, and fuel demand has gone down globally as well. So our ability to export ethanol is off. Uh, If you look at our production right now, we are several billion gallons offline, about 42% offline right now, looking at the latest data. So um, I think people have been very good to quickly understand the degree to which we've been hit as an industry. And and we want to make sure several dozens of plants have closed, have idled, have had to lay people off. 
we don't want that content to continue. And so we do, we do need some direct intervention and support at this time. We're talking with Growth Energy CEO Emily Score. Emily, how encouraged are you by signs of it looks like maybe fuel consumption demand is starting to pick up? We're starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. That's right. Gasoline demand uh, is up about 11 percent. Um, from where it was last week. So that's a good sign. I think people are starting to feel that across the nation as you look state by state um, at governor's stay-at-home orders. They're starting to expire. They're starting to ease that up. People are moving around, so they're, they're driving more. If you look at big drivers of gasoline demand, a third of gasoline demand every year comes from recreational trips. The summer, the, the infamous summer family drive. So we're really going to be paying attention to uh, the extent to which people hit the road. I know my family is planning on a, a good summer drive this summer, but you know that'll be a strong indicator for us in the summer months of just how much we can recover the lost fuel demand. When we look ahead to post-COVID-19, do you see the biofuels industry being more diversified? Do you see plants... Uh, you know, making more products or doing different things maybe than they were before. Some are, were already diversifying more than others, but do you see that being more the uh, standard rule moving forward for the industry? I do. One of the things that um, I have certainly enjoyed in the past several weeks in all of my conversations is the extent to which people are starting to understand the value of the co-products made at an ethanol plant. So typically we spend most of our time talking about ethanol. That is kind of the biggest driver economically for a plant. But there's been a lot of conversation on the carbon dioxide that we capture used in the meatpacking industry, the high-protein animal feed for the livestock industry. And, yes, we're making sanitizer. About 30 ethanol plants right now have ramped up efforts to be responsive to our public health needs. And so in my conversations with uh, the plant managers and owners, I think there will be a continued trend to diversify um, for a host of reasons, um, so absolutely, that's a trend that's going to continue. Do you think there will be some plants not reopen because of this? It's possible. And I hate to say that. I hate to see that. But we're in a pretty dire situation right now. And it is very possible that some plants that close their doors may not open them again. We're doing everything that we can to prevent that. Uh, but it is, it's something that we have to be prepared for. Critics of the industry and certainly critics of the renewable fuel standard have taken this opportunity during this crisis to renew their attacks and, and try to, uh, I, I think, really kick the industry while it's down. They, they, I think that's like blood in the water. They see an opportunity to, to go after the RFS again. Uh, obviously, this is in, an important time for your champions in, in Washington, D.C., the industry's champions, to uh, rally support around the RFS. You're absolutely right. It's it's not surprising, but it is disappointing to see that our opponents are uh, taking this opportunity to try and steal market uh, when things are so tough for all of us and we're facing a global public health crisis. Um, and so we, we take these attacks seriously and continue to have conversations. Just today, I've been on the phone with the White House, with the USDA, talking throughout the administration with our champions to make certain uh, that no changes are made in terms of how the renewable fuel standard is administered. We need that to maintain our market access. The last thing that we want to see right now is any move to unravel the RFS, because honestly, it would dim the hopes of an economic recovery in rural America.
I really think a lot of people take the renewable fuels industry for granted, especially when there's plenty of oil available in the market. It's different when that supply gets tightened and, you know, prices are really high. Uh, Also, we forget where we were sometimes with our dependence on other countries for our energy. We've lessened that dependence by a great amount due in large part to the renewable fuels industry. Sometimes that gets forgotten. It is quickly, uh, it is surprising how quickly people adjust. I think you're right, that that 10 years ago, the conversation was about energy independence. And that's not something that we talk about because we have become comfortable with it and we've taken it for granted. Um, And so important in our conversations that we remind policymakers and lawmakers of the many ways that this industry is absolutely critical to the American economy and the rural economy. How quickly, Emily, do you see the industry being able to come back as we start to reopen the economy? Do you see it as a slow, gradual process, or or how do you see it playing out now? Uh, Oh, if only I could look into my crystal ball and and get you the the answer. I think so much of this is going to be depending on how we as a nation start to ease back into some sense of normalcy. It's most likely going to be pretty slow and gradual. You look at certain big states that are big gas-consuming states, California, Texas, Florida, what are they doing? Um, as people start moving more, they're going to be getting in their cars again, looking for those summer travel months to see if people return to their normal sense of travel or perhaps even more because maybe they're not doing air travel as they used to. So we're looking at these indicators. I think it's going to be gradual. I think the big question is when, when, when it's all said and done, when are we back to normal? And I think we're, I think we're unfortunately a bit of ways away from that. Yeah, that's the big question we all have. And finally, the the grant program that's been announced to, for infrastructure to be able to get higher blends into the marketplace, how significant is that for the industry moving forward? This is exciting, something that's been long awaited and that, that we've been anxious to see take place. Now, make no mistake, this isn't going to help with, uh, with the immediate needs of the industry, really. But when we are poised to recover and when gasoline demand returns, we're looking at $100 million investment from the U.S. federal government into uh, in grant money for retailers to build out the infrastructure they need to offer higher blends of ethanol. So the best bet for consumers at the gas pump right now is unleaded 88. It's a slightly higher octane fuel. It's made with 15% ethanol instead of the regular 10% blend. Uh, and in a time of normal economics, you're going to save some money. It's cleaner for the air and it's better for the engine. So this uh, enables consumers to have greater access to a fantastic cleaner burning fuel, and we will do all that we can to work with retailers to make sure that they benefit from the grant dollars that are going to be made available. All right, Emily, thank you for being with us. We'll continue to watch this uh, HEROES Act and see where it goes and whether the final version will have the assistance in there for biofuels that uh, uh, we've been talking about here today. Thank you very much for being with us. Take care. My pleasure. Thank you. Emily Score, CEO for Growth Energy. We are seeing that slight uptick in fuel demand. People are starting to get out a little more, doing a little bit more driving. Uh, We've seen and hearing about some ethanol plants kind of gradually increasing production. Others, though, still remained idled. So it's a time of great concern. We're a long ways from getting everything back to normal, and certainly that's why the biofuels industry is watching closely what happens with this HEROES Act because this is the first package from the federal government that would directly assist the biofuels industry. Will it make the final cut? 
when it goes to the Senate. We will see. Up next, we're going to talk planting conditions and markets. We'll be talking with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Network. For farm and ranch information you can depend on and the sources you can trust. Adams on Agriculture and the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's go to East Central Illinois, check in with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt, good to talk with you. How much planting did you get done before these rains moved in? You know, we uh, we still haven't had any rain over in here. Uh, we had quite a bit done early on, you know, there in early April. Uh, most of that's up and looks really good, and then we were sitting for two and a half weeks. This week, we actually decided to plant here the last couple of days right in front of this rain. So if we get a huge rain, you can blame it on me. But uh, I don't know. The conditions were just phenomenal. And so I'm done planting corn first time, i got to say, with an asterisk there. But uh, soybeans, we're done with everything other than river bottoms. Well, I can tell you, being uh, on the western side of the state, that rain is coming your way. Because we've been getting it uh, quite a bit this morning already. And it looks like it's in the forecast for several days. I know some replanting has already had to be done in, in areas because of some wet conditions. And that'll be kind of the focus. We'll be watching that if indeed we get three or four days in a row of rain now. Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, the thing about it is that... Uh, it's getting to that time of year where you've got a lot of decisions to make. You know, if it was April the 14th, then we probably wouldn't be uh, pushing ahead of a potential rain system. But, uh, you know, being that it's May 14th, I guess a person can, uh, you know, go ahead and maybe take a little bit of a gamble there because you don't know when you're going to get back in and you don't know what the forecast is going to look like. One thing that I think is encouraging to me is just these temperatures coming up. So now that we're warmer today and we're going to stay in the 70s, I've got to think that even, uh, you know, a lot of this will have a good chance to make it up. Of course, you're going to have some ponds if you get three or four inches of rain. But, you know, I've got to think that some of this stuff's going to go ahead and make it up. So at least <laughs> at least that's what I'm uh, going to say since I planted the corn. Yeah, we're finally starting to see some warmer temperatures. Uh, overall, the planting numbers, big numbers, uh, but we know there are places like North Dakota. They're just hoping to really get going maybe next week. I mean, they have they've been able to get very little done so far and they may be looking at uh, a lot of prevent plant acres this year again uh, so but overall the numbers look strong so do the markets just uh, assume then hey crops off to a good start plantings off to a good start that they start assuming big crop already you know i think that there's a couple of three things going on first of all when you talk about north dakota we've got clients up there and man they're in a bad spot uh, they can't even get to some of their fields that they need to harvest first of all second of all uh, you know, there's there's no doubt you can't even think about planting uh, whenever you're trying to get harvest wrapped up. And so, you know, I've got to I've got to uh, tip my hat to those guys. They've had a couple of really rough years. I think you will be seeing a fair amount of prevent plant up there. 
but nothing, nothing like we saw a year ago. You know, what's the market thinking in here? I think, you know, a couple different things. You know, we've got a lot of corn around. Of course, the report said $3.3 billion for a new crop carryout. That's assuming huge demand. Uh, the USDA has assumed that we're going to uh, increase demand by about a billion bushels from this marketing year to next year. Uh, low prices are supposed to cure low prices, but, you know, that's some pretty healthy assumptions. And so I think everyone's in a wait-and-see mode on the market. Seasonally, you typically get a rally in here, but I just think buyers are a little hesitant given the uh, overburdensome stocks that we're looking at currently. Hmm. Yeah, everything seems to be on hold or kind of just a wait-and-see attitude right now with what's going on in the world in general. Now, we are seeing China, though, make some purchases. Yeah, we're seeing China make some purchases. You know, every day you get, you know, a couple of conflicting reports, you know, that uh, – we're saying we don't know if we want to do business with them again. We're going to draft the legislation to hold them accountable for coronavirus. And then we get surprise sales. Uh, I call them surprise because anytime we get those sales, they're, they're certainly a pleasant surprise. But uh, bottom line, there's, there's certainly some conflicting stuff going on. Now, looking at how much uh, beans have been purchased off the Brazilians in the last couple of months, you know, it sure would have been nice to see those purchases come from the U.S. I know with currency – they could buy them cheaper out of Brazil. But if they were truly interested in uh, fulfilling phase one, you would think that they would have been uh, sourcing some, you know, more of those beans off of us. But moving forward, we've sure got to hope that that is the case, not only with beans but with corn, because I think this corn situation could change dramatically if they actually did uh, take 10 or 20 million metric tons, which has been uh, you know, rumored to be a possibility. Matt, we talk a lot about the situation uh, with the ethanol industry. Much of the industry idled right now. Uh, people haven't been driving as much, although that seems to be starting to pick up a little bit. But when you look at the the price of corn right now, the corn market, how much is it being impacted by the uh, shutdown of the ethanol industry? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been impacted significantly, uh, not only on the board, but, of course, on basis. Uh, that's been the tough thing is there's so much ownership of old corn. Uh, whenever you see ethanol plants shut down, you're going to have basis uh, not only weaken there, but anybody who's neighboring there because there's not the incentive to buy up, uh, you know, uh, for the bushels. And so, you know, I think that we've probably seen a good 40 cents, uh, you know, of total impact as far as cash Corn has been, uh, you know, is, is concerned at the absolute least, just due to ethanol alone. And that's going to take a while to come back. Yeah, it will. And I think, you know, you're seeing people start to drive just a little bit more. You know, I think, uh, you know, some of these ethanol plants are coming online, some of the people that we work with. Uh, and I think that you'll still see a little bit more of a resurgence of uh, corn usage for ethanol. But we've got a long ways to go. We've just destroyed a heck of a lot of demand. And, pretty concerning uh, we've got to hope that this thing uh, is able to turn around here uh, and continue to see some of these plants come back online because in the summer typically you do see driving pick up and uh, you know i would say if people can't do certain things maybe they're going to get in the car and drive somewhere uh, we, we've got to hope that's the case might get in a car drive somewhere to find something that's open perhaps all right well <laughs> good luck uh, we'll see you uh... Uh, you know, I'm sending rain your way. Maybe some of it will go around you and you won't get quite as much, but uh, be ready for it, okay? I'm ready for it, but don't send it over here, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, take care. Good to talk with you. Yep.
Matt, Matt Bennett, he's based in East Central Illinois Farms there and with agmarket.net. All right, we'll wrap it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have uh, the latest on uh, the action in Washington, D.C. on the HEROES Act in the House. Expected to pass there, but tough sledding ahead in the uh, Senate. We'll talk about that. Look at these proposals for changes with cattle markets and just an overall update on uh, the impact of COVID-19 on agriculture and much, much more. Hope you'll join us. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks for being with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture.